All views and opinions in this podcast are not meant to offend or hurt the sentiments of including but not limited to any person living or dead, religion or ethnic group, community or country. Indian food is so much more than dal, butter chicken or samosa. The average Indian isn't even remotely aware of the tremendous culinary diversity the country has to offer. If the average Indian isn't aware, the world surely hasn't a clue. And on this podcast, we're talking about all sorts of interesting regional Indian cuisines that just don't get the love they deserve. My name is Roxanne Bambot and this is Beyond Butter Chicken. Indian food is considered incomplete without the inclusion of spices. We often find other cuisines bland in comparison. And in turn, the rest of the world thinks Indian food is nothing but spice-induced food. So are all our spices fiery? Is it just chilli powders that we use? Today's episode delves into the mysteries of Indian spices and who better to take us through this than Rushina Munshaw Gildayal. Rushina is a culinary enthusiast, consultant, cook, recipe curator, author, teacher and mentor. She's held several food projects, including the popular annual Godrej Food Trends Report, written a fantastic cookbook called A Pinch of This and a Handful of That, and is currently curating an exciting series called The Spice Chronicles. Rushina, welcome to Beyond Butter Chicken. I'm so happy to have you. I'm thrilled to be here and I'm so excited with the whole concept of this podcast. I know, me too. (laughs) And I know we're really cuisine-centric, but I thought this episode would be so wonderful because while it might not be a cuisine, spices are just so integral to Indian food. So I'm going to ask you, I mean, you've been talking so passionately about the humble Indian spice box um, that every Indian kitchen really has, and it's almost become a way of life for you. So I want to ask, where is the inspiration for all this? Where does it come from about learning about spices? Or where did this idea even come from that, hey, I'm going to hone in and talk about spices and not necessarily Indian food? I think it always was part of my bucket list. I always wanted to explore spices in a deeper way. And Mm -hmm. this is a pandemic baby, honestly speaking. I mean, yeah, so is this. (laughs) So So back in uh, 2020, uh, mm-hmm. I was at a space where I needed something to do. The plan was to travel and discover food in 2020, but that plan sort of went down the drain for most of us. I know um, that feeling. Yeah. And uh, in the initial part of the year, you know, when we were still trying to navigate our way through this whole uh, new thought process of the pandemic and its fallout, I needed something to focus on. And yeah. one of the things that I'd initiated a couple of years before was uh, the chronic concept of chronicling. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the culinary chroniclers conclave uh, mm-hmm. that I had curated. And I, I believe that today chronicling is a very big part of food studies. Yes. And we see a lot of it happening. And because I wanted to travel and I discovered Instagram Live as a sort of channel to yeah, yeah. You know, talk to people, get into kitchens. So I couldn't physically travel, but Instagram Live allowed me to get into someone's kitchen, watch what they were doing, learn from them, talk to them. And have a bunch of people with me who are interested in the same things. So all of that sort of came together and I came up with the concept of Spice Chronicles with RMG. And the idea of that was to enter kitchens, talk to people, shamelessly open up their masala dabas and see what was inside (laughs) them and uh, um, learn. Because, you know, we all know that Indian cuisine uses a lot of spices, but it's never been documented how that uses 
that usage sort of changes as you travel from one part of the country down to the other. That's so true. And also just uh, how it affects your food, even just with daily cooking. I mean, why we add a certain spice. I mean, I used to just do it blindly because my mom said so or a recipe said so. Um, but I did attend a couple of your lives and it gives you so much perspective and clarity on why you're doing certain things. So I thought that was really interesting. So, okay, we're talking spices and uh, everything spicy. Let's ask you, what are the different kind of spices? And when we say spice, do does that equate to hot, like spicy and fiery? And roughly how many spices do we have? Well, I would say we have about 40 to 50 common use spices. And then oh, wow. there are a lot of things that have been adapted as you travel around. We're still discovering. So, so you're saying 40 to 50 that we use regularly, but my spice box has maybe like six or seven. No, and so I thought I'm, I'm that talking, was too much. Yeah, no, no. I'm talking from the Indian cuisine context. Like mm -hmm. if I had to list spices from these Indian cuisine context, 40 yeah. to 50, lesser use, some are medicinal, some are mm. functional. They all have different roles to play. But obviously, if you look at your masala dappa, it's got five to seven compartments. And yes, those would be the everyday spices that are used in homes. And it changes as you travel from north to south and west to east and up to the northeast as well. Yeah. So as a repertoire of spices, we have 40 to 50 types of spices. Mm -hmm. And then there are many localized spices that are still being discovered because we are still discovering regional cuisines of the Northeast and stuff. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so there'll be more added to that library of spices that we have in India. Um, but when the you second part of the question, well, I was coming to that when the second part of the question is, does it mean that all of them, I mean, spices is an English word to denote heat or, or um, excessive spice. <laughs> I don't know what other word for it. Um, so does that mean that all our 50 to 60 Indian spices are spicy or fiery on the palate? Like is it every is everything to make Indian food hot? First of all, Indian food is not hot. Okay. That, yeah. So to just gonna clear up some misconceptions. Indian food is not hot, especially not the food that's eaten on Indian plates on a daily basis. Absolutely. Spices actually categorize a segment of ingredients that mm -hmm. are uh, very highly flavorful because they have intense con concentrations of oleoresins or flavored oils. Okay. Okay. And uh, spices can be flowers, buds, stems, leaves, different dried parts of plants, which yeah. have intense flavor. But wouldn't those be herbs? I mean, would, no. would you call them herbs? Herbs are fresh leaves. Okay. So, and, and dried leaves. Herbs are typically leaves. Spices are typically other more hardy bits and pieces. So if okay. you see in dried spices, I think bay leaf would be the only one that is a leaf, mm -hmm. uh, but it's a very karak, like stiff, yes, hard. Yes, it's crisp. Yeah. yeah. So dried parts, intensely flavored, mm -hmm. not necessarily spicy. Now, okay. what what does a spice do when you put it in your mouth? It basically affects the nerves in your nose and your palate. Correct. It's yeah. a sensory perception. Mm. Uh, so different spices have different levels of spice. So a chili, for example, is up there because mm -hmm. it's got capacin. Capsicism. Capsicism. Okay. We'll, 
you get the point. We get so, the point. Yeah, and that heat, as everybody knows, is measured uh, is is measured with the Scoville unit uh, thing. And the Naga chili is famously one of the spiciest chilies. Comes from the northeast of India. Mm-hmm. So chilies hit the high note. Then you have things like ginger and pepper, which hit a slightly lower note, but are as spicy. So if you eat too much yeah. ginger, you'll find it. In fact, if sometimes if you overdose on even something like cumin, you'll find it spicy, not yeah, as I, spicy as chilies. Yeah, but maybe it, spice is the broad word, but you will find heat to it, which we keep saying spicy. But so, it, so the spice, right. spice from heat or spice as in heat and the spice as in chili. Two yes. different categories. And yes. then when you go, which is something I've done recently, when you go into the Indian vocabulary, you'll find like there are different words in every language to give you different levels of spice. So I love that you brought up cumin because that's really my favorite spice. I end up putting so much of it in everything, but I love it. I, I just think it has a tremendous amount of flavor. So like we talked about, the normal Indian spice box has five to six, maybe seven of the usual suspects. Cumin or jeera is one of them in its powdered form and in its whole form. Coriander, you have coriander seeds or uh, coriander powder. You've got turmeric, turmeric powder. These are, you know, the usual suspects. But do you think there are, or what do you think rather are um, the more unusual spices that would enhance dishes or that people use that we don't, you know, really know about? Well, first of all, let's start with the masala dabba. If you look at the masala dabba configuration, uh, mm-hmm. turmeric is ubiquitous across the country, everywhere. Correct. It's always there in the box. Yeah. The next thing will be chili, which changes locally. So it's mm-hmm. not just, un- I mean, because of marketing and commercialization today, Kashmiri chili is what everybody thinks of. Yes. But what I found through Spice Chronicles is that there is a variation in chili as you travel around yeah. the country. So and we're talking powdered, right? So when we're talking uh, turmeric we're talk- and chili, we're talking turmeric powder and chili powder. So turmeric powder, chili in whole form as well as in powder form with different permutations and combinations used across the country. And that's okay. where the spice quotient also comes in. So what we were talking about earlier, were all Indian food being spicy, it's not. Correct. Spice levels are typically related to how hot a region is. The hotter region, the spicier the food. So Andhra, Rajasthan, a lot of chilies in the food. It's supposed to help with cooling the body down because you eat a lot of chilies, you sweat, Mm -hmm. cool you down. Other contents of the box. Typically, most places there will be hing because we eat a largely pulse-based diet. Hing Um, as in asafoetida. Asafoetida or mm-hmm. devil's tongue if you want to <laughs> is that really that that's what people yeah. call it devil's tongue devil's tongue because it looks poopy uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also it stinks okay yeah it now, does. now it's a stench that people who aren't used to don't like but i love it it's my favorite yeah. ingredient oh yeah yeah, it's one of my favorite ingredients. So hing will typically always be in the spice box because we eat a lot of pulses. Yeah. Our primary source of protein comes from pulses. And every region in the world that has a pulse-based diet will have something to counteract the, the joyous side effect that pulses have. <laughs> um, the gassiness. Yes, the gassiness. Uh, so every cuisine has it. And for us, that is heat. Okay. Now, here's an interesting thing. You're asking me for unusual spices, right? Mm-hmm. So one unusual spice of Uttarakhand is something called Gandherni or Choru. Gandherni or Choru, uh, depending on which part of Uttarakhand you're in. The scientific name is Angelica Glauca. It's a kind of twiggy sort of dried root 
slash semi stem of a plant that grows in the mountains over here. Mm -hmm. And because Uttarakhand was cut off from the larger Indian ecosystem due to geographical as well as political reasons, it, it, it sort of developed everything locally, right? So while hing is very much used in Uttarakhand, we get very, we used to get very good hing via the Himalayas, the Tibetan nomads that traveled back and forth. But we also developed the use of this Angelica Glauca because we eat a lot of Rajma and Udad and stuff like yeah. that. So it basically substituted your hing in your masala box now if i had to move from there into other spices so inflorescence there's this whole family of spices that comes out of inflorescences okay so okay. cumin coriander mm-hmm. fennel there's six of them all of them come from the same family of plants and you will see at least one of those cumin being the most common yeah cumin and in- coriander and coriander being in the box depending on which part of india you are coriander might just be a powder and not in whole form yeah but there are regions like for example coriander now grows really prolifically in certain regions and there uh, so it's very much a part in its whole form of rajasthani cuisine it's very much a part of uh, chhattisgarh cuisine in its whole form we're looking at how spices were adapted locally so that family would have representation in your spice box Mm -hmm. and then uh, the other thing that would have representation is mustard okay so a lot of the west and south uses mustard in its Mm -hmm. tapas so you would see a lot of mustard in the spice box yeah that's true my mom wants to put rye seeds or mustard seeds in every tarka so any any sort of when we say tarka we mean tempering so you heat oil and you put a bunch of whole spices in it uh, most common being jeera or cumin a little bit of salt or whole chili but my mom loves putting mustard seeds and i it drives me nuts because i only want the cumin seeds but i didn't realize it was such a popular thing in the west we're from mumbai so yeah. can't us as west Yes, it is. Uh, so West and South uses a lot of mustard. Conversely, mustard is available towards the North and the mm-hmm. East, but there it's not used so much as a spice uh, as it is used in the uh, mustard paste and things like that. Yeah, that's true. We did an episode um, on Bengali food as well, and I was uh, schooled by uh, Mr. Karmakar and was told uh, exactly that. Now, I know garam masala is a very generic term, right? It's a mix of different spices. Would you have a recipe or would you recommend a certain type of garam masala blend? Because it's so integral to most Indian foods. And I know it keeps changing from region to region, but do you recommend a certain type or do you have a quick, easy recipe that we could maybe run through? Honestly speaking, no. (laughs) um... Well, it's okay. I just tried to put you on the spot. Yeah, I know. No, no. So I'll tell you why. Garam masala is a concept, like so many things in India. And yes, there is a very sort of caricaturish, stereotypical idea of stuff that happens with all these concepts that we have in India, because we have to explain sometimes our cuisine to people uh, outside of India who may not have that uh, level of intricacy and of understanding that we do. Yeah, um, which is so, actually what we're trying to do with this podcast on Beyond Butter Chicken. I, I love that you brought that up because that is exactly the aim of this is to try and educate or um, create a little bit more awareness because it's just so complex and there's so many nuances and there's so many layers. And for people like us, we still understand 
a great part of it because we're Indian and we have some sort of reference or, you know, wherever you grew up in Gujarat or the South or the North or the East, you have some reference, but then that's still so different. And I think the garam masala really represents that. Absolutely. So what we, we need to understand when it comes to garam masala is that the garam masala itself changes as you travel around the country. So mm-hmm. if you're looking to cook Indian food, I'd highly recommend you check if the dish you're cooking or you know the cuisine you want to cook has a typical garam masala because you can very easily use the generic stuff that you'll find available on a lot of yeah. store shelves or in typical cookbooks but there are nuances and those nuances contribute a lot to the end product of the dish so mm-hmm. for example a garam masala used in bengal has just three ingredients in it um, okay but the garam masala used in the north in the region of punjab so kashmir down to punjab okay mm-hmm. even between kashmir himachal and Punjab, the garam masala configuration changes. Yeah, I think anyone who's listening to this podcast needs to sit um, with a map of India just to get context uh, if you're not familiar with the country. But yes, it it changes from state to state and region to region. uh, to digress a little bit, I this is the thing that one needs to understand about Indian cuisine. There is no broad stroke. Uh, yeah. that you can brush across and say this is how it is across the country yeah. everything changes because we have to understand that cuisine fundamentally is connected to two things the land mm-hmm. and what the land gives you and the climate and how the climate drives everything your whole lifestyle oh so absolutely when you look at it from that perspective you will see that in the high mountain regions of say a Kashmir okay mm-hmm. kitchens uh, had Uh, limited resources it was very difficult to even get basic water you had to fill water and carry it up into your kitchen during the cold winters pipes would freeze it was crazy stuff right absolutely yeah so the cooking style that has uh, evolved in uh, Kashmir is the dumb style of cooking where your spices everything is put into a nice pot-bellied dekchi or um, patila Mm -hmm. and covered up and it's cooked under steam in its own juices so yeah. it was being because you were conserving energy from your cooking fire but when you move towards the say if i had to give you a, com- a contrasting example of a gujarat gujarat mm-hmm. uses a lot of open cooking with a lot of fresh pastes yeah because they have lots of vegetables their climate is quite nice i'm talking about the southern part of gujarat not it's not arid because it's close yeah. to but when you understand the topography of india you start understanding why the cuisine changes now we started this conversation with garam masala so i loop back and i'll tell you that when i was working with spice chronicles I also discovered from my friend Sangeeta Khanna mm-hmm. that in many parts of India, we have something called the thanda masala. Thanda masala, like a yes. cold masala. Yes. So garam masala would be hot uh, and so, thanda would be cold. This is, I've never heard of this. <laughs> so let me explain. So garam essentially translates to hot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when we say hot here, we're not saying hot as in spicy. Okay. It has understand. spice notes, but garam masala basically translates to warming spices okay okay so conversely thanda masala is cooling cooling spices, spices. Or not as potent from the heat producing perspective for the mm-hmm. body so everything about indian cuisine has to do with the functional properties of ingredients that we eat now what has happened is that 
in over time what we did was we adapted western models of nutrition okay so we always look at food from the perspective of calories and protein yeah. and carbs which are the macronutrients and we have them yes but what we don't realize is that a lot of our nutrition comes from micronutrients and these micronutrients come from a very intricate fabrication of the vegetables you eat in every season uh, the pulses you eat in every season the grains on your plate what's available around you absolutely tying all this together even the fat that we have on our plates is very important and bringing all this together from the flavor perspective as well as from the nutritional perspective is the spice yeah. so it's not that you fling every like you know i remember years ago watching this tv show of uh, a very very well known british chef i will not mention <laughs> names but he was like just flagrantly flinging turmeric yeah. and chili into this kadai and i was like yeah this is not how people cook in india it's very nuanced so you know that that the jeera that you love so much for example the jeera is not only there for the flavor it imparts jeera is very very good for digestion yeah he like i mentioned is very good for digestion so every spice has a role to play and there'll be times of the year when certain spices are added in a larger quantity or maybe you know somebody is ill so a certain spice will be added uh, to the food um, yes in fact the most brilliant thing about indian cooks especially our moms and grandmoms is it's mind blowing the kind of equations and permutations they do on a daily basis when they're planning the day's meals because they're keeping in account what is available what is in stock and what you um, need what the family needs if somebody is sick there might be a khichdi with extra heeng or you know if someone has an upset stomach maybe there'll be some sort of ginger tea or something in the day's yeah. menu or curd or or a juice with black salt to sort of cut acidity yeah. which is why for me you know spice chronicles was like a crazy journey i spoke to almost 150 people including you can you imagine i mean it's like every single one of them is a repository of culinary information yeah absolutely and it's i love that you brought this up you know about how mums and grandmoms cook with this sort of perception uh, you know raise a sharp attention to what you need and what is available and even now during this horrible covid and i as we're speaking right now um mumbai uh, if not the whole country this mumbai is going through our potential third wave and um i'm you know where i had covid my family got it in the second wave and it was nasty and ever since then even right now the cooking is done with this insane amount of ginger and turmeric and and ghee and clarified butter and you know certain ingredients that i know i'm putting a little bit extra because it comes from there right it comes from say oh you know i spoke to someone about ayurveda or i spoke to my grandmom who said this is good for you and it build your immunity and i mean it's it's such an integral part of our food and our culture that now it's getting this whole marketing whitewash like i saw someone put like a turmeric milk paste i don't know what brand it was but it it's all because of covid right because everyone got into this whole thing yeah. but where does it stem from it stems from the food that we eat absolutely and it all comes back to it's how it's always had a purpose for your body not just flavor i'm digressing just a little bit but since we're on the topic of garam masala i wanted to ask you 
you know, most spices, at least when I'm cooking, is in the prep. So for example, I would say chop my onions and tomatoes, or I would marinate my chicken in XYZ spices, cumin, coriander, um, a little chili powder, turmeric, that's pretty generic. But when it comes to garam masala, I've noticed that sometimes in recipes, we add it in with everything else. And then there are some people I find who finish their dishes with garam masala. Like for example, a dal, it might not necessarily be in the tarka, but they'll cook all the pulses, you know, all the other spices are mixed in, everything is ready. And usually I would just chop some coriander to garnish, but I see people finishing their dishes with only garam masala. Is there a reason for that? Is there a way to use the spice? Like, is there, is there a right or wrong or you can just do it however you like? Okay, so I'm going to give you a little primer in two aspects of okay. spice usage in India. First of all, in India, we layer our spices. Mm-hmm. Okay, and your, bo- your masala box actually reflects that because you'll have powders and whole spices. Okay, but yeah. your masala box doesn't reflect other fresh spices that come. Correct. So when you typically most dishes will either start with tempering. So you'll have, when I say tempering, I don't mean tempering like chocolate. I mean, tempering in the <laughs> sense of the tarka. Yeah, okay. I, it, just look how skewered we are. I didn't even think of chocolate for a second. For me, tempering means spices. But I suppose if you're listening to this uh, podcast in another part of the world, for you, tempering is chocolate. So no, we're not talking about that. So when we say tempering, we mean uh, the tarka or, uh, you know, basically what is in the West now being called blooming spices, in fact. Okay. okay. And that, that's a term? Yes, that's a term. Oh, okay. That's uh, so essentially what we're doing is we're heating up a, a tablespoon or two of fat, which is typically either ghee or uh, mm-hmm. the local oil, whichever oil is on your, um, in your local diet. To this, there will be a very well thought out, combination of spices whole dry spices that will go in first then there might be some fresh spices something as simple as maybe just garlic or green chilies or something more elaborate uh, with uh, onions coming in so your fresh spices will come in at this point they will be cooked down till their moisture is released your other ingredients will go in whether it's uh, you know uh, veggies or chicken or whatever it is yeah and then you will have an application of powdered spices so this is where your turmeric chili powder coriander powder cumin powder would come in and they will yeah. definitely be there in some permutation or combination then you come in your souring agents and we very much have a category of ingredients that are souring ingredients they span the spectrum from souring spices dry stuff that's in your box like a kokum. Uh, mm-hmm. in Maharashtra, Garcinia indica. It's a sour a fruit that's dried and kept. Yeah. Uh, two fresh tomatoes, tamarind, a whole bunch of things. So your Correct. souring agent will come in when your dish is more or less almost cooked mm-hmm. or when it's done. Correct, yeah. Okay. At this point, you will add some sort of, if your cuisine uh, uses it, there will be some sort of curry powder mm-hmm. or masala blend. Okay. So what are the ingredients that go in or, you know, what's the difference between the garam masala and the thanda masala? First, let me just explain to you the difference or let me just put in context what garam masala is. Garam mm-hmm. masala, uh, basically, garam, the word garam translates to hot. But this is not hot as in flavor and spicy. This is hot as in warming to the body. A lot of Indian foods are valued for their properties, especially spices. It's called tasir. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the tasir of a spice is the property that it imparts to a dish. So a garam tasir is a hot property. 
okay that sounds really ंग mix or spice blend okay which has a bunch of spices depending on wherever you might be it will definitely have the warming spices like pepper will definitely be part of it bay leaf will definitely be part of it clove will definitely be part of it and then other things as you travel around Correct. i was telling you earlier that the bengali version has only three ingredients mm-hmm. i forget all of them but i remember pepper and black cardamom i think if i'm not wrong now the thanda masala on the other hand has digestive spices but it's not warming so it doesn't have the uh, heavy duty garam masalas with the heavy duty warming qualities so it will have bay leaf for sure and it will have cumin for sure and then depending on what where this so again the thanda masala changes from in within various communities but if i'm cooking something say a curry in a, a summer okay mm-hmm. then instead of a garam masala in certain parts of the country i will use yeah. a thanda masala so you need those flavor nuances that the spices are adding but you don't necessarily need them to be warming you need them to be digestive correct to sort of balance out the main protein in that particular dish without making it so hot that it makes you sick okay makes sense so different what has also happened in this whole sort of broad stroke approach to Uh, cooking indian cuisine and trying to sort of explain it to people who might not be uh, native cooks of the cuisine is that nuances have been missed out so in the spice blend space you have garam masala you have a curry masala you'll find a lot of communities have a curry masala a go to blend like yeah. in the case of parsi cuisine dhansak has the dhansak masala correct uh, yes. in the case of uh, east indian cuisine uh they have the bottle masala bottle masala yeah. so there is uh, many many cuisines have developed this go to masala which is your curry masala it goes in and it cooks in the curry mm-hmm. and then you have the garam masala which you finish with it's like a khushboo ka masala so now when we go back to the layering of spices in a garam masala depending on which part of india you're from the composition of that garam masala will have different things but most garam masalas are basically already toasted and finely powdered correct so they yes. don't need to cook they just mm. need that little bit of heat that will happen when you add it in so ah. uh, it's a finishing spice blend if i had to put it into yeah. a western term that makes sense i, I always wondered why like uh, i mean i thought you need to guna or you know cook the masala no. so here's oh. another very interesting aspect that i've realized as i've been doing my research but depending on what sort of a uh, cooking vessel you're cooking in mm-hmm. depending on how much heat application there is to a dish how dry or wet a dish is your masala texture changes so there'll be curry masalas will be slightly coarse or they'll have yes. base notes mid notes and top notes floral top notes like for example the most elaborate most fascinating masala is the lazate tam that comes from lucknow it's got like 30 40 spices it's got crazy stuff like it's got cuttlefish foam 
I'm sorry. Did you just did you just say cuttlefish foam? Yeah. So in a masala blend. Yes. It basically. Wow. So (laughs) it's uh, it's basically you know. It's it's complicated. I'm still trying to. I'm sure. It out, I'm sure. It sounds complicated. Yeah, but, but I get I get the gist. Yeah, skeletons of cuttlefish sort of float on the surface at some point, and then they are collected and dried, and they are used, and they have very strong medicinal properties. So, remember, wow. a lot of our masalas evolved also from the medicinal perspective, mm-hmm. and that is a very well known aspect of Lucknowi cuisine. That the food that was sort of created for the royals had the royal hakims. The Unani yeah. medicine experts, the Ayurvedic medicine experts, deciding what went into the food. So Absolutely. So this yeah. has got these 30, 40 different, different things, including chandan, which is basically sandalwood. And it's actually illegal. So it, today for me to yes, get my hands correct. on it is, And then it's got musk, deer musk, which again is something that we don't really have access to today so you know it's all these masalas which are sort of toasted individually in different ways and then all of it is put together powdered and then it's finished with rose water Mm. and kevda water so the top notes of the fragrance come now the reason i got into breaking this down is because what i wanted to explain is that the lazatitam is again used as a finishing spice yes okay but there are other masalas that are part of the they go into the main cooking so for example to come back to the bottle masala it actually has wheat and chana dal in it again it's a complex spice blend with a lot of ingredients very much what yes. fascinated me was that there was wheat and chana dal in it and there was no explanation the traditional cookbooks never have an explanation they just tell you what <laughs> yeah, i know i think that's what we're all trying to understand why but uh, nobody wants to say yeah it. So, so in this case, in the case of bottle masala, the reason for that presence of wheat and chanadal is when you add that with mm-hmm. your, into your fish curries or your whatever curry you're cooking, it adds that thickness. Like today we put, yeah. when we make a bechamel sauce or a white sauce, we put maida for the thickness. Yeah. So these things add. It's like an old school fat. Indian roux, <laughs> just to give it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically the, 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 to come back and finish the cooking vessel, what you were cooking, if you were doing a tawa dish, for example, your spices would not be in contact with the food to, for too long. So your spice blend in a, like a tawa masala will be fully cooked and powdered fine. Yeah. It's just, you know, going to be in contact for a while, similar with the garam masala. With the curry, you're a slow cooked like a nihari and Ranveer has done a fantastic video that breaks down the Nihari. Yeah. There, his, the masalas are coarser. There are different masalas that do different things, play different roles. So the base masalas will get the longest cooking and therefore, yeah. you know, uh, release their flavor as it slow cooks. It's a, Nihari is a sort of slow cooked over, overnight cooked mutton dish where the bones are allowed to simmer with the masalas for a really long time so everything comes together beautifully and what you what you meant to say is nihari is just fabulous absolutely (laughs) and it was a breakfast dish yeah yeah i mean today it's on restaurant menus as a main meal but nihari was typically left on the smoldering embers and it just cooked right through the night and you woke up in the morning and you had it for breakfast yeah um, so okay so coming back it's basically different uh depending on the recipe uh, and the region is whether you will cook your garam masala or you will add it as a finisher no you will not cook your garam masala 
You'll Ever. always add it as a finisher, just okay. maybe a few minutes before your dish. So it's not added at the beginning. Okay. So I'm doing it wrong yeah. uh, for certain things. Okay. Also, because by that, in that long cooking process, your garam masala will probably lose its potency. There's also mm. a chance it might stick to the bottom of your pan and burn. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, I personally really like texture in my food. And I find it to be as important as flavor. But I will say that I find whole spices to be annoying. And I know it's a little bit contradictory, but I hate having to bite into a nice biryani and then have this annoying chunk of clove uh, stuck oh, in my mouth. My, my, yeah. my, my is cardamom. My yeah, it just it drives me nuts, um, you know, any sort of whole thing. And as much as I can, I fish it out, but it's just so annoying. And I know that, you know, it, ha- it adds so much flavor and all that. But I always tend to gravitate towards more powdered forms. So my question is, do you think there is merit in using a spice in its whole form more than its powdered version? Or do you think you can get away with just uh, powdered versions? It depends on what the role that spice is playing in a dish. So like I said, that coming back to what the dish is, how long yeah. it's cooking for. So whole spices typically, like if you think of how rosemary is typically used in roasts in the West, mm-hmm. it's it's put in earlier and it's left in there because it's a hardy herb. It, you know, keeps releasing flavor. Yeah. Our whole spices play that role. That is so, a great comparison, actually, the rosemary <laughs> with our spices. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, rosemary and spices together also is a very nice way to start off and do like a pan fried chicken or, or a roast. Yeah. Just saying. But <laughs> to come back. So, the khada masala, the whole masalas that we put in, they play a specific role. Now, mm-hmm. as an individual, we can make that choice and say, okay, I'm not interested. I don't want to do this. Um, And by all means, go ahead. But if I had to sort of just stay true to a cuisine, then there's a reason why it's going in as a whole spice. But here's something that you can do. Like, I'll tell you, um, my kids don't like the kari patta that we put in a lot of our tarkas. The The curry curry leaves. Yeah. And those, by the way, are extremely high in iron. Um, I, I, curry leaves are my uh, discovery for 2020 my friend is obsessed with them and um, I know anyone who's gone through COVID knows that uh, especially for women you get this crazy amount of hair fall and the only thing that people kept telling me is eat curry leaves so that has been my <laughs> discovery for 2020 it's insane and the thing is it's actually curry leaves are very tasty they're annoying yeah. because they come in as for little foreign objects in your food yeah um but but i think if you fry them like you do tep- not fry but temper them well it i mean i don't mind them so much I, so, I so here's what i do i grind them up when i'm doing a sambar or something so i can make sure it goes into the stomach but another thing that's very very nice to do with curry leaves is either just slow roast them in your oven oven dry mm-hmm. them and mm-hmm. crush them up and put them and keep them as a powder or what i also do is i toast them in oil like in ghee with some chilies and garlic and I crush them and keep them like a little pesto sort of a thing that you can yeah. add to stuff. So for example, when we do our green vegetables, the first, the starting point of cooking green vegetables, which we call Hari Bhuji in Uttarakhand is you heat oil, you put in uh, chilies and uh, then jakhia and garlic. So uh, it's a very, very common practice here that you put the chilies in, you let them fry a little bit and then you pull them out and put them aside. So people who want to eat them can crush them onto their food later on, but mm. largely they've imparted their flavor and they're not going to come in someone's Correct. Yeah. So you can do that. You cook it, 
you put the spices, spices and cook in. them and pull them out at a certain point. Another thing that there is a recipe that I learned from my, my husband's grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure where it came into her cooking repertoire, but my grandfather uh, traveled around India a lot. So she lived in many places. It's called potlika mutton. And okay. potlika mutton pulao. And basically it calls for the mutton to be cooked with spices in a little muslin potli or yeah. a little bundle like you would have. Of, of a bouquet garni almost. Yeah, yeah like yeah. you would have the bouquet garni in uh, French cuisine. So... I am absolutely fascinated by that. I have not found the reason for it, but that's also another really nice way to... I mean, I would imagine the reason is... Yeah, the reason is exactly that. You don't want to eat these chunks and bits, but you want it to impart all its flavor. Also, the potli mutton pulao is basically a pulao, right? So it's not very high on that spice cushion. It's very subtle spices that infuse into the rice and the mutton. Yeah. It's a beautiful recipe, actually. I should make um, it for you. Please do. <laughs> I'm <But> always. <laughs> so if I'm a newbie in the kitchen and I want to cook Indian food, I know I have a lot of friends um, in different parts of the world that keep asking me this. And I want to cook basic Indian home cooked meals. What should my spice box include? Something simple that's not too intimidating. Definitely turmeric and mm-hmm. chili, both for the medicinal properties as well as for the appearance of Indian food. That distinct color that Indian curries have yes, comes yes. because of this alchemy that happens between the turmeric, the chili, and the oil that you yeah. use to cook. Cumin for sure, mm-hmm. hing for sure. If if you're going to be doing a lot of dals or legume-based dishes, then hing for sure. Basic digestive is like I said, cumin. I would say these would be your basic, yeah, basic, and then maybe mustard. So, like I said, the temperings in the north would have a lot of cumin. But mm-hmm. temperings in the West and South would have a lot of mustard. So yeah. if you're going to be experimenting with both sides of the Vindhyas, then you might want to have both those spices represented. I think that in is at its most basic. What yeah. I would do you think uh, they can make Indian food at home minus the garam masala? Or do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Garam masala yeah. is not. So it's, again, it's not integral. No, absolutely yeah. not. And see, as you experiment with different regional cuisines, they'll have their own spice blends that come into play. A garam masala is, again, you have to understand that Indian cuisine, as the West knows it, is a very caricaturish version of what real Indian cuisine is, yeah. which is not a bad thing. It's how we all get to know cuisines other than our own. Yeah. Always it will be certain easy, easy to transport, easy to ta- carry with you ingredients that yeah. will propagate first, right? And a lot of Indian, North Indians traveled and settled in other places. So they've taken their culinary sensibilities with them. And then garam masala was part of yeah. that uh, repertoire of cooking. So it's very important in North Indian food, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in everything even there. And yeah. as you travel down, you'll find the entire configuration of spices changes because as we get more warmer and more tropical, we're using fresher spices, we're using thanda masalas, we're using yeah. more digestive spices rather than warming spices. I know, I think you've answered this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What is your favorite spice, the one that you just can't live without? I have a lot. It's <laughs> I'm sure I have a lot. But garlic, 
and cheese. Yeah. Like if I could be a spice in my next life, I want to be one of those. Yeah. Because, my answer like, is garlic for sure. Yeah. I mean, garlic is like, oh God, <laughs> if you can't like do anything else, just fry some garlic. Life Agreed. Sorted. Agreed. Um, chilies, because you know, you, I'm Indian. It's, yeah genetically coded into me even though chilies came later and all of that stuff <laughs> one that i am very fascinated by is the star anise just because it's so beautiful mm-hmm. i love coriander because i think it's one of the most taken for granted spices in our spice box oh for sure and like i said hing i love hing yeah i thought you were going to say hing uh, because you mentioned that earlier but uh, i like garlic i'm going to go with garlic because i think now you're just listing out the entire spice box one no, no, i'll stop there <laughs> You know I have this, right? Yeah. It, okay. It's so all, you can't you can't see it, but uh, she's holding up her arm, which has a tattoo, and um, she's basically tattooed a bunch of her favorite spices, spices all over on her arm. So every time she's uh, feeling hungry, she just looks down. <laughs> so another very simple example I would love to share with you is something that my mom-in-law does with udar dal, just basic udar dal. We eat a lot of it in Uttarakhand, mm-hmm. and it has typically we'll add hing to it. Or we'll add that choru that I was telling you about. But another thing that mom always does when she cooks udad dal, udad is a thanda thasi. It can give you a very upset stomach if you overdo it. Yeah. Um, it's always so when she cooks udad dal, she always puts a few almonds in it. So almonds are considered warming and they balance out the mm-hmm. uh, cooling quality of udad. Interestingly, udad khichdi with warming spices is the typical thing served at Sankarant in many parts of Uttarakhand. So udad is a, a big crop for uh, Garhwal on the menu right around the year. So in different forms. Mm-hmm. And because we grow it here, it's very intrinsic to the cuisine. So it, it's also, they've also developed a lot of ways to uh, balance out the cooling quality that udad has. Okay, you have a lot of feathers in your hat already. I know that you're doing multiple things at the same time. And it's all really exciting. I love following what you're doing. And quite frankly, I love to be a part of what you're doing. You very graciously include me in some of your stuff. So I want to ask you, what is next in store for Rushila? Well, I'm hoping to finish my Uttarakhand book. I've been in Uttarakhand for the last two years. So hopefully this year that book gets published. Fantastic. Uh, even if I self-publish it. That'll be your second book. Yes. Another thing that we've ha- got happening is the Godrej Food Trends Report, which I do annually. Mm-hmm. This year it's the fifth edition and it's a collector's edition and it's mega and it's awesome. And I mean, I can't tell you the amount of sleepless nights and excitement that I am currently going through putting it together. (laughs) I'm sure. That will come out sometime in February. Mm -hmm. And then I have something very big and exciting happening by April. Ah, okay. So this doesn't go on. You're not later. So when we finish recording and then I call you, you're just going to tell me on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) No, but fantastic. I'm glad. I'm happy to see you excited about these because I know you always seem to do really interesting fun projects and I look forward to everything that you're going to come up with I want to say a huge thank you for being a part of this podcast this was fabulous and really insightful even for me I don't know about the listeners I hope uh, everyone who's listening to it found it insightful but I thought this was wonderful thank you so much for doing this and if you'd like to keep in touch with Rushina follow what she's doing she does a lot of her projects online as well like a lot of insta lives and things like that so I'm going to leave her um, 
information details in our podcast links. Please do follow her. Um, Regina, thank you so much. And I will hopefully see you very soon. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can tune in every week for a brand new episode where I talk to another expert and delve into a different aspect of Indian cuisine. You can listen to more episodes of the Beyond Butter Chicken podcast on Spotify, Apple Music or any of your favorite podcast platforms. And make sure to follow us at Mammoth Media Publishing and The Tiny Taster for more updates. Until next time.